so excited uh, to see everybody here this morning. Uh, I'm thankful that we had safe travels. Nobody's stuck in a ditch right now. I, I'm so grateful, so, so grateful for our sister LaRonda and, and the way that she leads us in worship. Man, I just, and for the Bracey family, to see them up there, mother and daughter. One more hand for the Bracey family up here, leading in worship, guys. Man, I just, every, every time you guys are up here, man, it just, it, it, it excites me. And so I, I'm grateful, I'm grateful for you guys. So, and Jake, where is, where is, where's my guy, Jake? All right, round of applause for Jake. Make it loud enough that you can, we love you, Jake. Yeah, man. Um, so we are in this series, The Bible, A Unified Story Leading to Jesus, and we have covered a tremendous amount of ground over the last couple of months. Uh, it started with Noah teaching us about the creation story. We started in Genesis, learned of Adam and Eve, and how to understand the Bible um, from the Genesis 1 literature. Uh, we went into the fall, the rebellion, and this chasm that's been put between us and God and our relationship with him, not only with him, but also with one another. We then jumped to Noah. Uh, we did some uh, discussions on Noah, then to Abraham, down to Isaac, Jacob, learned about the 12 tribes of Israel, um, the 12 tribes that ended up being in Egypt because one of the brothers was sold into slavery. That's a crazy story, sounds like my family. Um, but we, we learn about Joseph, we get to Egypt, we learn about God raising up this leader, Moses, to take the Israelites out of Egypt, and they're in this time of wilderness, of growth, and God gives them the Torah. Then we went uh, over into a little bit of the Judges. I think a few weeks ago, we had Anne from Ada Bible come over and teach us about the kings, the rise of King Saul, the rise of King David, the rise of Solomon some of the uh, uh, things that they did well, some of the things that led to futility, and how all these things point to Christ. And then last week, Noah picked it up, uh, starting off in the prophets, and we learned about Israel being uh, exiled again, and they're in Babylon, and we learned about the different implications that that has on a community, and how oftentimes when you're in exile, you seem to lose your way. This was an indictment on uh, Israel's obedience in their relationship with God. I think Noah specifically talked about Israel having cheated on God is the language uh, that was communicated there. We're in a covenant relationship, and Israel had been cheating on God. And so there was a leader, Daniel, that was raised up in that community. And now we've gotten to the end of the Old Testament as far as it goes chronologically, and we're introduced to two new characters. Their names are Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, we, most of us know Ezra and Nehemiah as separate books, but originally this was the same book. There's the book of Ezra, Nehemiah. It was later split, but who is Ezra? Oh wait, I got the clicker. They're on it, never mind. Who is Ezra? I feel like Ezra is one of the most, and you guys will hear me use a lot of sports terms, one of the most underrated characters in the entire scripture, at least as celebrated by present day Christians. Uh, earlier times, he was much more revered and celebrated. Today, I feel like Ezra is a guy 
that we miss out on. I, I see a lot of kids named Moses, see a lot of kids named Joseph. Don't meet many kids named Ezra. And I think if we really understood who Ezra was and what he did as a man of God, there would be much more uh, representation of him. But Ezra was the head of the great assembly. He was a priest. The great assembly, man, I got to get some cut. So the great assembly was a group originally orchestrated by Moses. Um, at the time of Moses, Moses was originally commissioned by his father-in-law, Ruel, to create a certain ruler or certain judges, certain leaders in a community that could lead over tens, over hundreds, and over thousands. Moses was taking all of this on himself. It was becoming very stressful, and he was advised to create a group of leaders. Later, in that same model, um, when we get to the book of Numbers, there's about 70, 71 of these guys that are considered the great assemblies. So they are, the, in essence, the elder board of all of Israel. So when we read about God uh, asking for Moses and the great assembly to meet him outside of the tabernacle, it's not everybody, it's these guys. This is the great assembly, right? And so this group uh, continued on through Israel's history, sometime falling off, sometimes need to be put back together. But Ezra was the head of it at his time. So a big deal, a great um, representative in the community. If you guys ever read the Talmud, which is a book of rabbinical law and rabbinical stories, the Talmud says, if the Torah had not been given to Moses, it would have been delivered through Ezra. Again, they're saying, if, if the laws of God had not been delivered through Moses, it would have been delivered through Ezra. So he was an awesome guy, somebody that's super celebrated um, in the Old Testament. And then the next person is, well, I, more on Ezra. This guy's an educator. This guy's a leader. This guy's a priest. This guy um, was forward thinking on social issues at the time. Awesome dude. We're going to go more into him. And then the next guy is Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. So a cupbearer was somebody who the king trusted to make sure that nobody was putting poison in his stuff. So he was somebody that has high integrity, super celebrated. He later became a governor of Israel at the time of King, I know I'm throwing some stats out, but we're gonna go somewhere with this. At the time of King Cyrus, the Jews were allowed to govern themselves. And so Nehemiah was the governor over a province of, um, of the Jewish community. So an, a great visionary, a great leader, a politician, um, a project manager, awesome guy. So before we go into the full part of the sermon, why don't you guys have some context on who they are. If you're new to Mosaic, which I don't think many people here are, but if you are, we do do some questions in the middle of our service to give us an opportunity to engage. So I want to show you guys this clip, and then we'll have two questions after that.
Here are our two questions. <laughs> that was not me. <laughs> My highlight thing. What did you see wrong in that clip? Is question number one. And question number two is, what if I told you they are trying to play soccer? How would you begin to correct them to help them to be great soccer players? All right, we got six minutes, and you guys can jump in your groups. And time. It's amazing how fast the groups finish when I'm not one of the group leaders. <laughs> yeah. We still be on question number one. So after watching that clip of all those bricks going up, the first question was, what is wrong here? There's tons of things that are wrong, right? One, none of these guys seem to know how to shoot. Two, <coughs> they don't seem to be organized. Three, the, and that's both teams. One team doesn't know how to rebound. The other team keeps getting rebounds, throwing up clanks. Four, nobody knows how to do layups. Five, where's the coach? There's, like, it's just utter chaos. And that's just if it was, if they're pursuing basketball. But when we go to the second question, what if I told you they're trying to play soccer? How would you correct them? It, like, it's not recognizable. If anybody looked at them and, and were to give an assessment of who they were, not a person would come up with soccer, right? And if you wanted to start correcting them on soccer or to, to, be, uh, to do well in soccer, some of the things would be, first, you need a new facility. The place where you're at does not, is not conducive to soccer. Uh, you need a new ball. That ball that you have doesn't work <laughs> for soccer. The way you keep catching it, that's not how we play it. You have to learn the rules of the game. You would need training. You would need new equipment. You would need skills. You would need, you would holistically need to adjust everything that you're doing. Now, if I said, hey, I'm going to make them a soccer team. This is the way we're going to switch it. We're just going to learn how to kick. That wouldn't solve it, right? That'd be a part of it. You have to learn how to kick to play soccer, but that wouldn't solve their issue. Their issue isn't just kicking. Or if we just change the facility, like, yeah, we put them on a soccer field or a pitch or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, they would have the right arena, but they still wouldn't be a soccer team because they still have a basketball, they still have basketball shoes, they're still catching, and they don't know how to play. This is very similar to the situation that Ezra and Nehemiah found Israel. Because they were in captivity, because they were exiled so long, they almost looked unrecognizable to the community that there was supposed to be via Torah. Like if you looked at what a Torah, what, what a community, the way God commanded it, the way that they worshiped him, where they worshiped him, how they worshiped him, the frequency of worship, how they engaged with one another, how they loved one another, how they supported each other in their communities, what they did in marriage, what they did in... If you looked at all of what it should have been and then looked at what they were, these two things weren't recognizable, similar to how the, those dudes playing basketball wouldn't be recognizable to soccer. And so Ezra and Nehemiah are now given this, this task, right? So <clears throat> uh, the Jews are now on a return to Jerusalem. And they're led by Nehemiah, 
and they're led by Ezra. And so they have this task to not just fix one thing in the community, they need to fix all things in the community to be a community that would honor God. And there's a couple core ways in which they did this. If you go, if you go to, the ne- to the next thing. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Stay right, stay right here, though. Some of the issues that were going on in this Jewish community, one, they were working on the Sabbath. They had stores open on the Sabbath. A big no-no in a Jewish community. Two, they were intermarrying with uh, nations in that that God had explicitly forbid them from. Another big no-no. They were financially in community taking advantage of one another. A big no-no. They, they also had no understanding of the Word of God. They weren't diligent in it. They weren't learning in it. They weren't following it. And so lots of different issues that are going on in this community. So the first thing that Ezra calls them to, and if, and if we open up to Nehemiah 6.11, did we end up getting that? If we don't have it, that's my bad, because I, I uh, didn't add that slide. I kind of wrote it in there, but then I didn't like, hey, we need to have these Bible verses. But I think Alan got it. So get, get a round of applause for my guy. <laughs> Just pulling them up, man, pulling them up. Jumping to Nehemiah 1.6, it says, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants. This is uh, speaking to the Lord. The people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are, the far, are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayers of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer of the king. So this this is Nehemiah praying that the Lord would first forgive them and also allow him to have favor with King Artaxerxes to return to Jerusalem. Step one is that we have to repent. To be a community of believers, we have to repent of sin. If we don't have a repentant heart of sin, then we're not a community of the Lord. We're not following after him. Like if we're we're dabbling, if we're in and out, kinda, sorta, if if we don't have a heart of remorse and turning away that our sins put Jesus up on a cross and that he had to be brutally murdered for our transgressions, if that doesn't shake our hearts, then, then at the core, at our core, guys, we're not where God would have us to be. So the first step of following God as led by Nehemiah and Ezra would be to repent. The second thing that, that Ezra and Nehemiah led him in was the study of the word of God. So Ezra, like I said, was an educator. Ezra actually put together a 
series of studies called a parashat, meaning that there were different, different sections of scripture that had to be memorized by the people in the community based upon your birthday. So if your birthday is January 1st, your parashat might have been Genesis 1 and 2, and you had to memorize this. If your birthday was February 8th, your parashat may have been like Genesis 24 and 25. And so the idea of Ezra doing this, when I'm telling you this guy was forward thinking, the idea of him doing this was that he knew there were times that they were in exile. He knew that there were times where people would, would capture them, but he knew how important the word of God was for their community to sustain. So what Ezra Ezra and having them memorize this meant that even if all the scrolls were taken, even if the scribes were killed, even if, even if, you know, all their stuff was burned up, as long as you had the community of believers together, you would always have the entirety of the word of God. It was essential for him. It was core to them on being a, a community of believers that lived this out, had to be anchored in the word of God. So jumping to Nehemiah 8 verses 1 and 9. It said, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. From daybreak till noon. From the sun came up, we're reading the Bible till noontime. Ezra was in it. <clears throat> As he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood a lot of names. <laughs> Keep it going. Ezra opened the book, all the people could see him because he was standing above them, and as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. They bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. <clears throat> the Levites, Joshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, uh, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Mazah, Kalita, and a lot of other names uh, <laughs> instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. And Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the teachers of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, this day is holy to the Lord your God, do not mourn or reap, for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Essential. It is essential for us to be people that understand the word of God, understand the instruction of God, are equipped with the word of God. When we go to Ephesians and it talks about us putting on the full armor of God, there's a breastplate of righteousness, there's a helmet of salvation, there's a belt of truth, but, and all of these things are defensive, but there's one thing that you can be on the attack with, and that's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And as a community, as a community, this is essential to have in our quiver. This is essential for us 
to be living out. And if we're not serious about the word of God, if we're not serious about repentance, if we're not serious about these things, Ezra saw all of this broken in that community. It's like, hey, we need to fix this. We need to fix this. And I, and I sympathize with this because if you look at our communities, if you look at our communities today and our churches today, sometimes we focus on just one thing. Sometimes we focus on fixing just one thing or one issue or we're, you know, we're the, I won't call out any names, but we're the this kind of church or we're the that kind of church. But what Ezra and Nehemiah are saying is that, no, all of these things are important. Repentance, studying the word of God, obeying the word of God, raising our kids up raising our kids up, don't get, I can't even look over here, I'm so excited, raising our kids up in the word of God. You think about, man, you think about, if, if, if you have a five-year-old child and they're unable to say their ABCs, there's a problem. We have a problem with that as a community. We won't go for it. If your child gets to six, seven, eight, and that's still not happening, but they're cognitively there, they're unable to do simple addition, subtraction, things like that, they will send people to your home. We will send people to your home to see what is happening in your house because children need to be doing X by certain benchmarks. As, you know, and if you get into middle and high school, dude, we got kids that know Pythagorean theorem, they learn engineering concepts, calculus, all these different things that we expect our kids to hit benchmarks in education. What do we expect them to do in the faith? What do we expect them to, to understand as followers of Christ? And by when? There's no timeline. There's no, like you can be in a church your whole life and never read the Bible. It's not even an important, Ezra was like day one, Y'all wake up. As soon as the sun breaks, we're reading. Y'all better sit here and listen. And if you don't understand it, we're going to make somebody make you understand it. And, and we treat the word of God and discipleship and these things flippantly. And I'm so glad to be a part of a church where it ain't flippant and where we're finding people that are excited about, man, don't even get me started. Okay. Whoo. Commit to obedience. Nehemiah 10, you don't even have to pull this one out. They were, they, were so, they were so committed to obedience, Nehemiah and Ezra, that they drafted a new contract with the Lord. They literally drafted a contract with the Lord, invited everybody out, and told them to sign it. Like there is a signed written agreement that you will be studying the word, that you will treat people a certain way, that you will tithe to this community, that you, like, they were that committed to it. It wasn't just like a, hey, this is what I'm feeling in my heart today. This was, this was, this was everything to them. And so at the core, I think this is all about loving God, right? People say they love God, but are you doing these things? If, are you, if you're not repentant, you don't love God. If you're not studying his word, and engage in his word, I question if you love God. If you're not committed to obedience, Jesus says, those who love me will obey my commands. If you're not committed to, if we're not committing ourselves to obedience, then we're not loving God. And then the second part of their community that was fractured is the love for one another. Community. <coughs> community. They started 
celebrating together. They had the, um, the festival of booths, the feast of booths, right? They, there was, a, there was a, a holiday at which they spend in booths for a week to commemorate the time that they spent in the wilderness. All of that to say, they did stuff together. If we're a community of believers, we need to spend time together. We need to have fun together. We need to enjoy each other. We need to support each other. We need to celebrate each other. We need to be at each other's events. We need to, like, that's what builds family. We can't, and I love that we have people on live stream. I love that we have, you know, people on YouTube and that. But we can't be no YouTube church. We can't be some live stream church. We got to be here with each other. We need to hug each other. We need to have fun with each other. They were serious about this. I, I would think the first thing on their mind is like, you know what, Lil, let's have a party. Let's have a celebration. No, they wanted to make sure that we're growing as brothers and sisters together in a family. And then financially, check this one out. So Nehemiah 5, 1 through 13. If we pull that one up. So they have a, there we go. So now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. So they're all back together, right? We're all hanging out with each other again. And some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Now, they have enough within their community. They have enough, you know, amongst themselves to provide for everybody. But some people were like, hey, that ain't my problem. Hey, you need to be better with your funds. Hey, you know, it ain't my fault you was out there spending whatever. And although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. This is again Nehemiah. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. 
Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. Guys, being a community of believers is not just about coming together and singing songs and worshiping together. This is economic. Like, this is, this is holistic changes in how we engage with each other and how we even lend to each other. And anything that we do, guys, we, like, it should look different than the world. It should look different than the world. Paul talks about if we have a case against one another, why are we having to go to the world to have it settled? Do we not have enough wise people inside of the community to make decisions on these matters? But we're not setting ourselves up that way. And so I celebrate Nehemiah and Ezra because they weren't about fixing one thing. They weren't about just coming to church and saying, hey, we love God, and then we're out of the way. They were about economic infrastructure. They were about equity. If they were, if they were here today, Nehemiah and Ezra would absolutely have something to say about the distribution of wealth, particularly within Christian communities. They would absolutely have something to say about the businesses and things that we support within our own communities. They would absolutely have something to say about racism, injustice, uh, historical oppression, uh, systemic racism, redlining. They would have some, absolutely have something to say about that matter. They would not be content with us showing up to church, singing songs led by our amazing worship team, and then going home and living just like everybody else. They saw a problem, and they were like, we have to fix this. And they pushed at it, and they pushed at it hard. They tried to fix, and it still never ended up the way that it was supposed to be. They tried to fix the temple, and it was like, hey, we patched it up. And some people were excited about it. Other people who saw what the temple used to look like were like, they mourned because it still wasn't the way that it was supposed to be. The relationships, they tried to fix them and they worked. And although things improved, it still wasn't the way that it was supposed to be. But the exciting part of the story next week is that we're gonna celebrate the person that doesn't just fix, he makes all things new. He makes all things new. And when we're celebrating him next week, and we're celebrating the birth of the Messiah, the birth of the Messiah is not just about, hey, he came to save us. That is a part of it. That is one part of it. But he also came to show us how to live. He came to show us how to worship. They rebuilt the temple because they needed to worship a certain way that honored God. He came to show us how to do that. He came to show us how to love each other, how to be brothers and sisters in Christ, how to support each other. He, he, came, he came to address every issue in your life. And so when we're celebrating him next week, 
celebrate, let's celebrate him with a heart of surrender, with a heart of openness to Jesus, whatever it is that I need to, the, the great thing that I celebrate about this community is that when Ezra and Nehemiah came with, came with those words, they received them. They said, you're right. We're going to change it. We're going to fix it. Ezra, it. The community didn't, on the, interest, on the interest portion, they didn't come and say, well, you know, the average interest rate right now is 4.5%. I feel like I'm giving them a discount. They didn't come and say, hey, you know, well, that's anti-capitalism because, you know, well, if we do that, then why would anybody ever work? It was a different mindset. It was a very different mindset. And it was a mindset of love. It was a mindset of how would you treat this person if they were your child? How would you treat this person if they were your brother? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And guys, so that's, that's my encouragement to us as we go into this Christmas season. Let's not just celebrate Jesus for, you know, giving us the, the path to heaven, right? For being our, our conduit into heaven. He is that, but he's also so much more. He is our lifeline, our example, our more perfect Ezra and Nehemiah for us to build our communities better, for us to build our churches better, to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love, your grace, your mercy, your kindness, your goodness, Father. I'm grateful that you're not just interested in helping us with one thing, but that you want to help us to live out in greatness in all things, Father in the way that we love you, and the way that we love each other. Father, I pray that we, we would be a light to the world and not just a light to the world in sharing who Jesus is, but a light to the world and how we treat homeless people, a light to the world and how we as husbands love our wives, a light to the world as, as in how wives love their husbands and how parents love their children and how the children take care of their parents even in their old age, how we love our enemies, how we, how we treat people who have wronged us, how we go about things economically, politically, Lord. I pray that we would be a light to the world in all these ways, Father. And I also pray that you will continue to raise up in our generations, Ezra's and Nehemiah's, Father, to lead, and that we as your people would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. We thank you even in advance of next week for giving us the example in the flesh. Not just from abroad or through a person, but in person. That you took on flesh, came to this earth to be with us, to dwell with us, and to not just fix, but to make all things new. We thank you for all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.